Hello. Is it? Oh, okay, I gotta go forward. Thanks. Thanks, James. Is that better? Do I have writing on my forehead still? No. Okay, there we go. Um, I always want to say good morning when I do this, and it's not morning. It never is. Um, so, hello. Good, good day. Michaela's, Michaela's going with uh, Guten Tag now. So, I'm, I don't think I'm going to do that every week. No, I'm not going to do bonjour either. Um, welcome. It is nice to see you all. I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that you're all here. Today, uh, this week, is our, our last week in the book of Micah. We've, uh, we've been working through it the past number of weeks. We're, we're into chapter 7 now. That's the, the last chapter in the book. Um, Lent begins this week. This week is the start of Lent. Uh, that begins on, on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. Um, if you want an excuse to eat... Uh, Really tasty foods. Uh, Tuesday is, is Mardi Gras, so there's your excuse. Uh, load up on the pancakes or whatever else you want on Tuesday, because Lent starts on Wednesday, and you're not going to eat any of that during Lent. <laughs> are you? Probably you are. We don't really observe Lent very strictly uh, in, our, in our tradition and culture, which is fine. Um, Wednesday is also Valentine's Day. That's a, an interesting lineup. Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day on the same day. That's going to be fun. Um, I wonder how that's going to turn out for some people. <laughs> Starting next week, we're going to be stepping back into John's Gospel. We're going to be focusing on the Upper Room Discourse, um, pretty much picking up where we left off uh, before Advent. Uh, the Upper Room Discourse is, is Jesus teaching with his disciples uh, and his conversations with them. Um, around the, the Last Supper uh, and, and just before his crucifixion, which in John's Gospel lasts for like many chapters. That's a significant portion of the book. So that's going to take us right up to Easter. Um, so that's the plan for the next little section of time going forward. Uh, there will be, be something else after that, but uh, haven't planned what that is yet. So if, you, if you've been praying and you're really feeling God speaking to you and telling you that we need to go through a particular book in the Bible, uh, then suggest it. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll uh, end up doing that. That could be fun. Or difficult. Who knows? Um, on your tables, as usual, there is a sheet of paper with the passage on it and the discussion questions printed on it. Um, feel free to take a look at that if you want. Uh, I am going to, I'm going to get into things here. Let's, let's read through the passage. Let's read through Micah chapter 7, and then, uh, then we'll dive into things. It's Micah 7, starting at verse 1. <clears throat> what misery is mine? I am like one who gathers summer fruit... At the gleaning of the vineyard, there is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. The faithful have been swept from the land, not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood, they hunt each other with nets. 
Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts, the judge accepts bribes, the powerful dictate what they desire, and they all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright worse than a thorn hedge. The day God visits you has come, the day your watchmen sound the alarm. Now is the time of your confusion. Do not trust a neighbor, put no confidence in a friend, even the woman who lies in your embrace. Even with, with her, guard your lips. For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies are the members of his own household. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy, though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light, because I have sinned against him. I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see it and will be covered in shame. She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. The day for building your walls will come, the day for extending your boundaries. In that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates, and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. The earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as a result of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days long ago. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens then they will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. And who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of your inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob. And show your love to Abraham, as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. If you've been reading through Micah, or if you've been going along with us, uh, you'll recognize some familiar imagery there. Um, Micah does a bit of a recap, uh, and he... He goes through a lot, of, a lot of stuff that he sort of has covered before and brings it together here. You know, I think the world today looks, looks somewhat similar to what Micah kind of describes in this chapter. Uh, Micah goes on about how there's, there's no faithful left, no no goodness, no justice. 
people with power are abusing their stations. This was true in David's time, too. If you look at Psalm 53, David, David says, there's, there's no one who does good, not even one. And it, was, it was true in Abraham's time, too. Um, in Genesis 13, we have Abraham pleading with God on behalf of the city of Sodom, where, where his nephew Lot lived, uh, that God wouldn't destroy it. And God agrees, if there's, if there's only ten, if there's only ten righteous people in that city, I won't destroy it. Couldn't find ten. Not even ten. Noah's time, too, was, was like that. Not this Noah. Different Noah. Genesis chapter 6 says the inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And then, and then came the flood. Uh, so this idea that all the righteous have disappeared from the earth seems to be an ongoing issue uh, to the point that perhaps there never really were any times where there was righteous people in abundance all over the earth. In Jesus' day, it was the same thing. Matthew chapter 10, he echoes Micah here. He quotes verse 6, Jesus does. Uh, and at one point, you know, we've also got Jesus saying things like, why do you call me good? Only the Father is good. No one else. Yet in Micah and, and throughout Scripture, at every turn, we see that God preserves a remnant. That word remnant's used here too. Noah's family survives the flood. Lot is separated and spared from the destruction of Sodom. David is kept safe <laughs> from Saul while Saul's trying to kill him. And he, he becomes the king. And even when the kingdom splits, generations later, Judah is kept from being taken into exile, at least for a time. And when they are taken into exile, God preserves a remnant even in exile. And these, these people are returned to the promised land. When Jesus comes, he's rejected by these same returned exiles. Again, generations later, but it's the same, same group of people. And yet a remnant believes. And, and the disciples carry the message of the gospel into all the world. And so Micah, again in this chapter, as he has throughout this book, knowing God and trusting his character, looks out and says, one day, one day those who mock God will be trampled underfoot. And the nations and the ones who hold power and have abused it, and those who have taken advantage, even from within the people of God, woe will come upon them. They will be ashamed of their power, for it will be nothing compared with the power of God in that day. And they'll cover their mouths and say, what have we done? And they'll be afraid of their judgment. 
That's, that's not a picture, I would suggest. That's not a picture of those who have put their trust in God, who are, are trusting their lives and their fate to him. That's a picture of people who are holding on, who are squirming to avoid this judgment uh, and not turning themselves over in repentance to God. Because of this, their fear is going to be validated. That's the picture Mike is painting here. If only they would turn to God in trust instead, giving themselves over to him willingly. Oh, it could end so much differently for them. For who is a God like our God? Our God who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance and does not stay angry forever, but loves to show mercy. He is faithful. Should we only trust him? Should we only put our faith in him? There's, a, there's an interesting parallel in this passage. Did you notice uh, that while those who were mocked, who mocked God, saying, where is your God, were, were trampled underfoot? Did you... Did you note that? Did that stand out to anyone else? Micah also comes back around uh, and says, our sins are to be trampled underfoot as well. Tread underfoot by God and cast into the depths of the sea. And Christ did this on the cross for us. Because of his death, our sins are, are done and dealt with. They, they hold no power. And yet, this picture really doesn't sound comfortable to me. Uh, there's, there still seems to be a process in this. Being dealt with means one thing, and yet... They, they still seem to exist, don't they? At least experientially, at least in my life. Sin does. And I think part of this process of the trampling of sin and, and casting it into the ocean. Man. Have you noticed that often some of the most profound lessons we learn in life are the ones most difficult for us to really take hold of? Some lessons are hard to learn. Uh, they aren't the same lessons for everyone, I don't think. We, we seem to all struggle with our own things. I, I know for myself, man, I, I so struggle with needing to be right. Can anyone, anyone relate to that? Yes. Yeah. A couple people maybe. It can be so toxic. And I've realized, uh, you know, after some time, uh, this is especially difficult for me when, when I feel exposed. When I feel like I don't belong or that I, I don't fit in the place that I'm at or, or the group of people that I'm with. When I'm uncomfortable in that way, I, I tend to get my guard up. 
Um, and and I, I resort in whatever interactions I, I end up having in, in that sort of state to this stupid need to be correct. I think in a lot of ways, maybe most ways, it's, it's just classic pride rearing its head. I want so badly to be respected or, or to be seen as valuable or smart or as a man or, or an equal or, or someone who can hold their own or whatever, whatever it is. I tend to try and position myself so that I get a chance to, to win something. Something. It doesn't really matter what it is. <clears throat> a competition, a game of some kind, a conversation even, or an argument, as, as if that's how conversations worked. <laughs> Those aren't things you, you win. You don't win conversations. I, don't. I can be some, become so wrapped up in making sure that I win something or prove myself somehow that I, I completely miss out on what's actually going on right in front of me. On the person right in front of me. Because in all of those situations, there's a person there. Or, or people who are there. And suddenly they stop being what I'm focusing on, what's, in, what's important. Instead of focusing on how I can display the fruits of the Spirit to the people around me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I get focused on trying to make sure that the person or people around me will give me respect or, or validation or whatever it is that I, I feel I deserve or need from them in that situation. Do you know what that shows? Definitely a lack of peace and self-control. Definitely that. Likely a lack of gentleness and kindness. Maybe even a lack of love in, in some situations. And I find when I let myself get sucked into acting that way, I, I tend to be pretty low on patience, too. So that's covered like most of the fruits of the spear right there that are like struck off the board. That is sin. That is transgression. That is a display of iniquity on my part. And man, I can't tell you how many times I've left events or conversations or gatherings or run-ins or bump-intos with people. And often people that I care about hurting because of how things went, because of the damage that I've done. And hopefully, usually the damage isn't very great, but still. Sometimes it's in response to, to things others have said or, or, or done, but that doesn't really make it any better. It doesn't feel any better on my part either. Thankfully, God is faithful to Jacob 
and Abraham and also to me. And, and he has given me grace and enabled me to, be, to begin, at least, to learn some of these lessons. I remember when I first became an elder in a church. It was not this church. This was years ago. I took it very seriously. Uh, James and Katie might remember this. We'll see. I think this was the first meeting that I attended. Um, the first elders meeting for that church. Uh, and I, I remember finding out that the elders met once per month. Uh, and I'd been preparing, I, I, was, I, I had done some reading, I was fired up about being involved in a, in a new and deeper way. I was in my early 20s, and I said something to the effect that I had expected we would, we would be meeting weekly. And I think I even said something like, we all need to be more committed to this. <laughs> At my first meeting. <laughs> or one of, one of my first meetings anyway. How ridiculous is that? What a lack of awareness. What pride. What arrogance. I actually remember Katie saying at that meeting, there's some pride that needs to be broken there. And she was right. She was, she was exactly right. She was bang on. That was a... <coughs> Sorry. That was a hard lesson for me to learn. And, and I didn't enjoy that whole thing very much. And it, it took me longer than it should have to, to start to learn that lesson. And there's almost for sure a, a degree to which I'm still learning it. I think that's often the case for, for us with, with these sort of long-term issues that we all have. You, you learn it and then, and then you, you find out a little while later that, oh, I guess I'm still learning it. Oh, I guess I'm still learning it. Oh, shoot, I'm still learning it. Maybe I'm not learning it. And I hate that. I hate it. I hate that pride's still an issue for me. I hate that I can slip into that if I'm not being careful in the way that I interact with people. And it's uncomfortable to deal with. And it sometimes feels like my pride, my own iniquity, my frail humanness that struggles with these sorts of things is being shoved in my face. And sometimes it feels like it's being crushed underfoot. And, and sometimes it feels like part of me is being crushed there with it. That's kind of because it is. And that's a good thing. The reason that happens 
is because God is faithful. It's because he is continuing to work in my life and, and on me. And because the work because the work of Jesus on the cross, which dealt with my sins, is being followed through on by the, by the Holy Spirit's work in my life. Not letting me hold on to those things. Those sinful, ugly parts of myself. But continuing to confront me with them. Continuing to force me to deal with them. And thank God... Because those are the things that are going to be hurled into the depths of the sea, which will be destroyed. Potentially me along with them if they're not dealt with. God, in his compassion, as part of showing his love towards us, continues to reveal to us and convict us of our shortcomings. Not to condemn us, but so that we might change. We're not supposed to stay the same. We don't want to stagnate. That's not a good thing for us. The cross deals with our sin, but we are meant to respond to that and engage with God in the work of getting rid of it in our lives. Forever. That's an ongoing process. And we, we need to engage in that to whatever degree he sees fit to reveal those shortcomings we have to us. Has anyone ever heard of Mother Teresa? <laughs> Probably everybody has. Um, there's a famous quote by Mother Teresa. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it. I don't actually even have this in my notes, but... It goes something like, the, the further you go in, in sanctification, the more you realize how much further still you have to go. Mother Teresa has been described by many people as the, the best person in the world. That, that's, that's, that's like something that she's kind of famous for. For her to point something like that out, man, that's powerful. We, we never get to be finished products while we yet live on this earth. And that's good. That's a good thing. It's because God is continuing to show us ways that he wants to draw us closer to him. Make us more like him. And we need that. I need that. Okay, I've gone over time, so I'm going to stop talking. We've got discussion questions. They're printed out on the sheets on the table. I think we can throw them up.
on the screen here. I'm going to read them out. And as we talk about these things, you know, some of these questions are personal. And, and when, we, when we look at them, there's a degree of vulnerability in that. Um, and if you can't answer them, that's, that's okay. But really, really make sure when those are the questions that we're dealing with, that we're applying them to ourselves. These aren't questions that are meant to be taken and pointed at someone else, anyone else. These are for our own examination of ourselves. Um, so here, here's the first question. This one's a softball. Who does Micah expect to act justly and rightly in this passage? Who? who? And this is expect, not hope. Who does he expect to act that way? And then the second question is, who does God's wrath come against in this passage? And what implication might that have for us? And the last question is this, what is God treading underfoot in you? What, what needs to break in your own life for your own spiritual growth? Uh, and as always, we'll, we'll you know, spend 10 minutes or so on this, and then Katie's going to throw up a five-minute timer at that point uh, as, a, as a warning. And, and if you haven't started praying with one another and for one another by that point, please shift gears at that point. Spend at least five minutes praying with and for one another at your tables. Okay, I'm going to sit down now. We can talk through some of these things. As prayer wraps up, um, we're going to head upstairs together. Um, we're, what's that? Katie's going to cough? Sure, that's fine. Let me just explain what's going to happen here. Um, we're going to, in a, in a minute, uh, after Kitty shares something with us, we're gonna we're gonna head upstairs. Um, we're gonna engage in some worship together. We're gonna have communion, um, and that's something we do every week here. Um, it is it is a way for us to uh, continue to to turn things over to God to to again turn these these ongoing issues that we have in our lives over to Him uh, through that act. Uh, and again, crown him, make him Lord over us. Uh, and that is something we need. We need to do so often, so regularly, all the time. Uh, and so we, we do it whenever we gather, whenever we're together. Um, so we're going to do that. Um, before we do that, Katie's going to come up. If there are plates and dishes and things that uh, are still on the tables, that's fine. There is a bin uh, in the hallway right over there to put those in. Uh, but don't worry too much about that. Uh, when we're ready to go upstairs, please just come. Uh, please engage in the worship. Please step into that. Let's do this together. Um, Katie. Awesome.